Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Maria Ilyakova, a bariatric and general surgeon, about the benefits of robotic surgical systems. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Maria Ilyakova, a bariatric and general surgeon. We're going to be talking about robotic surgical systems. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you so much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you here. And um, before we jump into it, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Maria. I'm a, like you said, bariatric and general surgeon. I currently practice in Iowa City and absolutely love my job. Um, So it's all about helping people with weight management. It's a pretty um, tough subject for a lot of people and uh, have really found, I feel like, a calling in this field. I really love it. And also get to work with some really cool technology. So it's kind of an interesting intersection of innovation, uh, patient outcomes and safety, and definitely quality. So, yeah, really, really fun. I'm from the Midwest myself, but kind of did my training all over. Um, Mm -hmm. Do have background also in informatics and some other things as well. So, yeah, just kind of landed in the perfect spot for myself. Excellent. Well, let's talk about uh, robotic surgical systems. Um, You know, I guess... Tell me a little bit of sort of about how they work and how you got involved with them. Yeah, so uh, robots are fairly new to the surgical space. In fact, um, you know, minimally invasive surgery are what we do with small cuts um, and accessing different surgical areas that way is really only a few decades old. Um, with the advent of these technologies, honestly, robotics didn't lag far behind what's called laparoscopic surgery or non-robotic minimally invasive surgery. Um, But the adoption has taken a lot longer. Um, As you probably know and your listeners know, um, adoption of new technology is not very fast in healthcare. And uh, there's a lot of uh, resistance, sometimes skepticism to it as well. So it really has to be um, something that improves patient outcomes and has a lot of other benefits to it before people widely adopt it. Um, The robotic system that I use is produced by Intuitive Surgical, which dominates about 80% of the market. And they produce a robot um, called the Da Vinci robot. We're currently in the XI generation of that, though there are others to come. There are definitely others that are developing robotic systems, um, including Medtronic with Hugo, which is already approved in Europe and outside of the U.S., but currently not yet in the U.S. Uh, there are orthopedic systems created by Stryker and others. And yeah, so there's definitely quite a few players in the field, both currently and way more coming. There's about 20 yeah, to 30 yeah. robots in development. So one of the big challenges actually ahead is how are we going to encourage, you know, competition? How are we going to encourage surgeon training and adoption of different kinds of surgical platforms? Well, let's talk about some of the benefits of using a robotic uh, system, you know, for surgery. What, what, you know, what do you see as some of those benefits? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as a surgeon, I'm always looking for ways to make my life easier, right? Mm-hmm. Because my life easier than that means that my patients have a have a better time in surgery too, right? Um, and definitely using a robotic system means a couple of things for me as a surgeon. It means better ergonomics. So it means I get to sit during the surgery, I get to relax um, and have really good body motion, which means I can be more efficient um, and really safer in many ways, not get as fatigued, especially uh, after hours or later in the day. That's a big deal. Um, The other thing is visualization. So we do have 3D cameras laparoscopically. And obviously when we're working in open open surgery, it's uh, also 3D. But the vision is really, really fantastic when you use a robotic system. And it's something you can control yourself. 
So autonomy in surgery is a really big deal for surgeons because a lot of the surgeries that we do, and um, this isn't just unique to general surgery or bariatric surgery, it's in every surgery, we really depend on assistance and assistance to hand us tools, to hold things for us, to attract cameras, all the things. When you're using a robotic system, at least the one um, that Intuitive has developed, uh, you have control of all of your instruments and your camera. So instead of, you know, any surgeon listening to this will, will know what I'm talking about when I say, okay, look at, look, point the camera where I'm looking, you know, and, and uh, don't, you know, people can shake or people can kind of veer off and things like that. Those, those issues are eliminated when you use these kinds of systems. Um, the data is fairly mixed though on exactly how this impacts patient outcomes. There's some data that says it really does and it decreases the length of surgeries. Um, it decreases length of stays of patients after surgery. It Im improves recovery, has less pain, things like that. There have been some studies that are fairly equivocal though too. So I think there's still some data filled out there. Um, I will say robotic surgery isn't in it performed in a vacuum. So a lot of times we're actually using protocols and other process improvements to make surgery safer and to make it have better outcomes for patients. So anytime we're kind of bringing something new, we have an opportunity to also make it better. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple, but you know, what kinds of procedures are done with these systems? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, there's very few procedures that aren't done or can't be okay. done robotically. You'd be even surprised, actually, there's now um, newer procedures being developed in even things like breast surgery or um, thyroid surgery that are robotic. Um, those are certainly way less common than some of the more general surgery, orthopedic, um, OB-GYN, urology applications. In my practice, I do general surgery and bariatric surgery. And I will say that the robot has enormous benefits when you're working really high up in the belly or really low down in the belly. So for me, bariatric surgery is kind of done up at the top of the gut. Um, and then colon surgery, so those that do colorectal surgery low um, or urologists or ob guys that are working within areas that are constrained by pelvic bones and things like that, there's a lot of benefit to using the robot in those environments as well. Because um, you're having to hold the tissues less and you're, having, you're able right. to manipulate areas a lot better. Uh, the other thing to think about is, you know, bariatric patients often exceed uh, hundreds of pounds, and we're getting into the ranges where patients are on average between 400 and 600 pounds in many programs. Um, certainly taking away some of that torque and allowing us to use a non-human assistant to be able to, to really hold those tissues and access those tissues is really, really beneficial. So um, while there's many different kinds of surgeries being done robotically, there are certainly some that benefit um, where the benefit is even greater than others. And is it is it more of a precise thing when you've got a robot doing it, you know, in terms of cutting and, and things like that? Certainly. And let me clarify yeah. that the robot currently doesn't have any automated function. So as a surgeon using a surgical you're robot, yeah. right, uh, you're doing the entire operation. So um, it's honestly the best way to think of it is it's almost like you attach a patient um, and their their surgical field almost like a spider <laughs> to the to the robot with the robot arms and the robot instruments, um, and then you are actually operating at a console which controls all of the motions and all of the different instruments and things like that. So it's it's basically like having an exoskeleton, if you will. Um, it's like having an enhancement to your own abilities um, and and to be able to be your own assistant, which is a really big benefit. Absolutely. Um, how widespread is the use of these systems right now? 
So that's a really good question. It varies a lot. Um, adoption varies a lot by region. Um, there are certain kinds of hospital systems that are much more commonly using robotic systems than others. Um, typically, academic centers are areas where higher tech or sort of the cutting edge is, is um, adopted earlier than other places. So certainly academic centers. Though you will, we're starting to see even a rise of robotic systems in ambulatory surgical centers and in smaller rural communities. Um, as there's more training that's been being done by surgeons in residency programs, they come with those technologies. So in fact, yeah. I actually started a robotic program in my small community hospital because I had seen the benefits as a resident and seen the benefits as a fellow and uh, really thought that it would actually benefit our system as well and our patients. And we've gotten to the point where um, we started our robotic program September of last year, and we got to the point where we could staff it 24-7 in May of this year. So that was a pretty fast um, turnaround there. And uh, what it allowed us to do was actually offer surgeries at lower cost even than our laparoscopic um, counterparts. So that was pretty significant because there's, there's a lot of optimization you can do of these systems and standardization that I argue is actually a little bit easier even than laparoscopic or open equivalents. Um, what are the barriers to entry uh, for using robotic systems? Yeah, so there's a lot. <laughs> uh, they are expensive. That's one mm. big issue. Anyone looking at bottom lines is going to look at the big uh, upfront cost of any of any implementing any new technology or a big piece of equipment. Right. Um, granted, there's a lot of companies now that offer you know like leasing programs and all kinds of sort of ways to acquire the technology that's less expensive. Um, but I do think that making um, making a case for it financially is a really really important step to take. Uh, even in our program, we took a huge look at costs and profits and revenue overall, volume, um, all kinds of different components and metrics over time uh, to not only build the case for the acquisition, but also to enhance the program and to make it really um, work for us in our, in our patient population and our community. Other barriers certainly are, uh, you know, people don't necessarily like change. Right. And that yeah. even if it's good change. Right. Um, you know, moving to a new city for a new job opportunity. Scary. Right. And so when you're bringing in a new piece of technology that requires people to train and how to use it, um, you know, that that can be scary for people. Not necessarily everybody wants to do that, whether it's surgeon or scrub tech or circulator or OR director or even central processing. How we sterilize the tools and process them is different yeah. when we introduce new technologies. Um, so those things are big barriers. So it is really important as these systems are becoming more widespread and especially in certain kinds of areas uh, that we partner um, amongst ourselves. So we don't silo ourselves in healthcare and we actually partner with all the, the customer segments involved, all the stakeholders uh, to develop ways to implement these well. And that's not an easy task. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's oftentimes not seen as beneficial necessarily to partner with industry. There's kind of this industry versus healthcare provider approach mm -hmm. in medicine sometimes. Um, and I don't know that that's the healthiest approach either. Um, certainly, we don't necessarily all have the same interests, but partnering with industry to create good training modules and good training approaches is something really that benefits everyone. So that also has been a really, really key factor even in our ability to, to introduce a new robotic system and, and make it work for us. 
Uh, what's the uh, re the patient reaction been to it? Are, are some folks a little scared off by it at first until you explain it to them? Or how, you know, how have you sort of talked, you know, folks, you know, talked about it to patients? So interestingly enough, um, and I thought, you know, coming to a smaller community in Iowa City, uh, things like that, that people would be a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, it's actually been exactly the opposite. My very first bariatric patient actually switched from uh, a person that was offering laparoscopic surgery to me specifically because they wanted to have a robotic surgery done. And as far as, you know, my practice has been, I've never had a patient question that. And actually many have, have stated that they would prefer that modality to others. Um, we don't do specific marketing for our robotics program, and we don't directly target, you know, patients to say we offer things robotically and it's different and things like that. So I think some of that has already entered into the, the zeitgeist, the mainstream, if you will. Um, that said, though, I, I do think that there's, um, you know, a few years ago, there was more apprehension from patients, and there were certainly more questions when I was a resident or a fellow being asked. That may also be regional for where robotic surgery doesn't have as much penetration. For instance, in the Midwest, it's lower than on the coasts often. often. Um, so it, it does depend, but I've been surprised because robotics has definitely become much more mainstream. And I guess, you know, there's probably a lot more information out there now to research. If you're a patient looking into this, you can probably do a fair amount of research on your own just about you know, people's experiences with it and, you know, what it involves. So it's not as scary as just going into the unknown, you know, no idea of what it is. Exactly. And I will say, you know, I'm a bariatric surgeon. A lot of our uh, patients come as referrals directly from other physicians or from patients themselves to, to friends and family. And if their experience was positive, they're much more likely to refer yeah. others who will already come in with some trust and um, good things to think about you and, and the tools that you use. Um, in our program, we actually got to the point where fewer than half of our patients were using opioids of any kind when they went home. So narcotics, wow. um, our narcotics use dropped really, really drastically as we implemented the robot. Can I attribute that directly and only to the robotic system? Certainly not. Um, but I think, again, when we're introducing these kinds of new technologies, we have a chance to reevaluate the entire approach of how we treat patients and how we approach safety and outcomes. Um, and definitely when patients can go home after major bariatric surgery and not even need any narcotics to use, that makes a huge um, quality of life impact, safety impact, and I think community impact ultimately. So what, why is that? Is it just kind of there's less, um, I guess, you know, damage done uh, when you're using a robotic system or like is there is that just sort of a general um I guess a uh, benefit that that's happening or is it just is it directly because you know of the way that the robotic system works so it's multifactorial um, one is the way in which we prepare patients so we do use medications both before during and after surgery in order to minimize pain and that's not just me medications that treat pain they also treat things like nausea and so forth um, the robotic system though does, there is some evidence that it can cause less torque on the abdomen less torque means potentially less pain, right? Yeah. Other benefit of the robotic system is we're making um, our access points or incisions on our, um, our, our abdomens or other surgical sites in a more standardized fashion. So you can plan it out a little bit better. Yeah. You can sort of avoid areas that you know will cause pain. Um, we even partner our robotic approaches with what are called tap locks, which are a specific way of reducing pain um, in patients. And it's a regional anesthesia block that we do while we're doing surgery. So there's just a really um, kind of 
more thoughtful approach to how we treat tissues. Um, there's maybe some evidence that you're able to treat tissues a little bit more gently or because you can see things, you can be more precise. Um, mm -hmm. That I can't tell you has a lot of data behind it yet. Um, yeah. So that has yet to be proven. Um, but definitely as, a, as an overall package, we're using a lot less narcotics to help our um, patients who have robotic surgery versus other modalities. Um, so how much training do surgeons receive to, uh, to operate a robotic surgical system? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. In fact, I think surgeon training has been something that uh, we as an industry are really starting to think about a lot more. Uh, the general standard training of a surgeon is five years of residency, general surgery residency, and that's after medical school. So you get your MD and then you, you do surgery residency for five years. Uh, many folks who are using robotic systems are also fellowship trained. So that's anywhere between one to multiple years, depending on what you do. And then there's definitely continuing education. We have continuing education requirements, and there are actually many, many courses that you can take through professional organizations and through industry as well um, to help train on the robot. Outside of that, there's even things like proctoring and other kinds of ways to, to have people come on site with you or for you as a surgeon to go on site where there's really there's people who are really proficient at using robotic uh, systems to learn from them. So it's a really collaborative effort um, of surgeons training other surgeons all the way across the board, both when they're formally in training and when they're out practicing surgery as well. Um, however, some of that is not super standardized once you're out of residency and fellowship. So that's actually, I think, going to be a pretty decent reckoning point for surgeons in the future. There was actually an article that just came out in the New York Times not too long ago about a procedure called component separation and uh, the fact that when, as we have increasing complexity in the kinds of things we are able to do and increasing um, complexity in the kind of tools that we can use, we probably do need to look at how we standardize post-residency and post-fellowship education for surgeons um, a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I imagine that, uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, did you uh, start training on this uh, sort of right away or did you come to uh, robotic surgery a little later, like after you'd come out of med school and stuff? Yeah, so in med school, at least um, when I was in med school, there was no training on the robot at that time for med school. That is changing. So um, I actually uh, participate in my where I went to medical school on the alum board and uh, definitely am noticing that students are much, much more engaged even at that level um, in learning how to use the robot and things like that. Um, now there are also resident courses that are run through our professional organizations. But outside of that, you know, even in my training, and I'm not that far out of training, I just finished my residency in 2021. Um, but things have changed drastically even since then. So my first year, very little exposure to the robot. By my fifth year, my last year, we had robots at all facilities where, where we oh, were wow. operating. So um, even just in that five-year course, there was massive change in adoption of robotic technologies. And I think that's only going to increase based on um, the adoption of these, these platforms being every year greater and greater. Um, so yeah, that's um, the way that, that it kind of has increased its uh, penetration of the market and the way that residents are trained um, is not slowing down in any way, shape, or form. And I am very hopeful that there will be earlier and earlier training because the better, um, the more access people have earlier, uh, the more capability and, and nuance they can develop over time. Um, yeah, and, and that kind of leads me to, you know, what kinds of technological advances do you expect to see with these systems, you know, sort of down the road 10, 20 years? I mean, obviously technology, 
these days is you know changing so rapidly uh you know would just look at ai would you know people you know chat gpt like two years ago nobody even knew what it was because it wasn't even anything and now it's everywhere so that is such a great question too because um you know as i mentioned right now the the robot is essentially a glorified exoskeleton is how we use it it's something that really allows me to do surgery better as a surgeon but what we're really thinking about is that these platforms are data tools, right? They're collating, collecting data as to how we, we operate. Um, they're also collecting data on the potentially the video recordings and all of that in terms of patient anatomy. So ultimately, I definitely think that there will be portions of surgeries that can be automated, um, that can be analyzed for safety and outcomes and training other surgeons or other platforms, certainly. Um, how soon that will be is um, a question for debate, certainly, but there is so much potential for improving standardization, um, safety, sustainability, all kinds of applications in terms of not just um, the artificial intelligence or machine learning components, but even in just training surgeons from the data that we collect. And I imagine just as, you know, the use of these systems increases and there's, you know, and there's more data and, and and research done on it that you know it'll you know it'll kind of become more commonplace and and you know uh, and I guess you know maybe expand use will be expanded you know to other other functions as well. Absolutely. So if you think about it now, you walk into an OR currently. Um, there's actually very little automation. You would be surprised. Mm -hmm. because I think if you walk into you, in your grocery store, right? Um, there's an automated checkout system potentially, or, you know, in some places you're not even registering um, a tag and it's automatically scanning for it. Um, the OR currently is, is, while we use very high-tech tools, overall a pretty low-tech platform integration and data integration. So I definitely think that there will be a lot more automation in the OR, a lot more application of machine learning from the data that we collect and the monitoring that we do of patients and the environment and overall potential for process improvement. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that there will be more systems talking to each other and more uh, people and systems talking to each other as we progress forward. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be uh, interesting to watch. Uh, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. I really appreciate it, Jay. Thanks so much for the conversation. All right. That wraps up episode 97 of PSQH The Podcast. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again, and stay safe.